0: Hey Story Show listeners, uh, it's Shane and Angie and Jeremy and we are talking about our last series of stories around the theme of Light My Fire. Today we're talking about Paul Heil. Uh, Paul Paul's a really great guy, a great storyteller. Actually, we got two stories out of him. One was a long form poem. Is that right? They were both English long teachers? Well, yeah. oh, they were both long. My apologies yeah. to yeah. the English teachers in the room.
1: One was a little more narrative than the other. <gasps> oh, I thought you for sure were going to say, one of us forgives you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I and I was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I wasn't sure. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, there so were. clearly <laughs> Jeremy doesn't forgive you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not ready to go there. He's yeah. let He's let some other things go.
1: Yeah, so Paul did two poems, which was awesome because we don't typically have poems in our shows. In fact, I think we've only had one other poem, and that was by Jim Trow a couple of years ago, a great poem about his son, Caleb. Um, But uh, yeah, Paul did two poems, both incredibly descriptive, and one of them was really funny. Yeah,
0: the salamander story is just, the kestrel and salamander, so imaginative, so descriptive... So absurd. I was right with it. So absurd. I was right with him the whole time.
1: Yeah. And it was actually based on something that that happened to him, right? Yeah. I yeah.
0: I was for sure this was just some sort of metaphor, but Yeah. Uh, no, right? <laughs> turns out, fact.
1: Yeah. <laughs> English teacher is like, what does the salamander
0: mean? Right. Yeah.
1: It means a salamander. <laughs> <laughs> Another cool thing, Paul came all the way down from Bird Island, Minnesota, which I think is about a three-hour drive, right?
0: Yeah, it was quite a drive for him. But he seemed really excited and happy to do it. In fact, his town that he's from, Bird Island, is beginning a story show program as well. So we were excited to hear that this is happening in other places.
1: Right, and it's happening there because one of the original storytellers from our first story show here in Albert Lee moved up there and uh, started their show recently, Rick Bonlander. Hey, Rick, how you doing? Hey, Rick. Yeah, and uh, Rick and Paul invited us down here to come up and participate in one of their shows in Bird Island sometime. And uh, I haven't followed through on that yet, but I, I think it would sure be fun. Well, it would be fun. Yeah. yeah.
0: The, uh, his other story, um, the Johnson Barn at Midnight, is based on a painting his son had done. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? He yeah, was talking I'm, about no, that? No, you said it. Yeah, I remember that story. And, uh, and he said that he had looked at it, either he had... <laughs> just looked at it long enough or studied it and he had come out with this poem from it.
1: The imagery in that one is just wonderful. It is. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Good tension, too. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and uh, the other thing that I really liked about Paul's performance is he's got this great voice uh, for poetry, and Shane, this might be a little hard for you to relate to, but Angie, you know, like when you go to a poetry reading.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now I feel like I can't confirm I've been to one. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. whatever, whoever goes with those, yeah. Yeah, uh... What I mean to say is that sometimes poets use this kind of affected voice when they read their poetry, a voice that's really different than how they talk in reality. And it's like, here's my poetry reading voice. And I just didn't feel like we were getting that with Paul at all. It was just super authentic and just great Yeah, and the audience responded really well to him. It made me
0: kind of think about um, road trips. You go on with your friends, right? When I found out it was a real story, then you start thinking after his story, you think about the road trips. I mean, do you guys have any good road trip stories that, no? No, no. no. In high school, you didn't like, Mm -hmm. I remember we, as a senior trip, went and had a house up on a lake up north. And this was when Baywatch was really popular and they would we would jump like dive off the boat while it was running through the lake and uh, I can't imagine how dangerous and I would never encourage my kids to do that now obviously yeah Yeah. I thought I look back on those things and you think that's really exciting and dumb and I mean the story just between the two of them even in their I think middle ages they're sharing this I mean adventure's a fun part of life
2: oh for sure
1: Angie road trips
2: every summer. Dynamite drop ins, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I was
1: like, (laughs) I really am like, you have good road trip stories. I do,
0: yeah. I I got
1: Angie did have some good road trip stories, but none of them were podcast appropriate. So, without further ado, here is Paul Heil and his two poems from last summer's "Light My Fire" story show. Enjoy.
0: Paul Heil is a retired social worker, grateful for the 30 years he spent learning from people living with major mental illnesses. Paul and his wife, Patty, reside in Bird Island, Minnesota, and they do their best to visit, spoil, and brag about their children and grandchildren as often as possible. Paul is an avid reader and book collector. He has been writing sporadically most of his life.
2: Paul Heil. It seems that many of us use the mundane repetitiveness of life's day-to-day routine to convince ourselves that we have a defined, relatively secure place in our little worlds. But every once in a while, something not in our control happens. If we are lucky, the light goes on, forcing us to pay attention to the moment and to forever be mindful of our small place in the universe. This story really happened to me and Jim a kestrel and salamanders. Jim and I headed to Maher's new place on the first Saturday morning in May. The township's failure to grade the frost boils had turned the gravel road into a teeth-shattering washboard. Bouncing along at 20 miles per hour was not only good dental hygiene. In the 58 Ford pickup, the slow speed reduced the dust coming through the holes in the floorboards. Hopping over a small rise in the road. Look out! Stop! Slammed on the brakes. A complete stop in plenty of time to avoid the sparrow hawk eating breakfast in the middle of the road. After all, we were only doing 20. Temporarily out of sight in front of the truck. Where'd he go? Bam! Straight into the windshield while we were at a standstill. Motionless on the hood, dead. Not unconscious, dead. Why'd the crazy suicidal Kestrel do it? (laughs) Beautiful even in death, contrasting browns with a hint of blue. Jim insisted that he would use his taxidermy skills with the bird and laid him on the seat between us. (laughs) I insisted we should bury him in the ditch, we argued. Jim wouldn't relent. There the hawk was on the seat between us. Tried to close his eyes, but as soon as I took my hand away, his black kestrel eyes reopened. (laughs) Headed towards somewhere southwest of Garfield in no particular hurry, figuring to ask directions when we got close, that beautiful damn thing lying between us, staring up as if we were his next prey. Our journey turned into a winding, paved road where the intensely farmed prairie ends and the lake and the woods begin. Now doing 60 instead of 20, then a 35 mile per hour curve, slew straight ahead, birch trees on our right, then skidding like winter ice onto the narrow shoulder, water on both sides of the road, black and yellow, blisting, moving undulations, complete stop incomprehension. We had to get out and look, a maelstrom of tiger salamanders covering the road two and three deep, killing as many as your foot covers with every step. We were 200 feet into them before we stopped and a quarter of a mile short of the far side of the amphibian diaspora, (laughs) more in a square foot than we could count, crawling on top of each other migrating from the west side of the road to the east. I didn't want to keep driving ahead. Just backing out would kill thousands. I grabbed the grain shovel from the pickup box and demanded Jim get behind the wheel and back the truck while I scooped salamanders <laughs> out of the way. Just as Jim came around the truck to get on, in on the driver's side, his feet flew into the air higher than his head. A better fall than Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin, He landed flat on his back. His eyes shot open with the realization that salamanders were marching over him. In one motion, he is standing and trying to maintain his balance while slipping and sliding on salamander guts. There is only a moment when Jim's body impression could be seen like the chalk outline of a crime scene murder victim, the outline soon covered with new waves of salamanders. You could see guts and blood stuck to the back of his coat. I scooped them away from one tire. By the time I scooped away the second tire, where I shoveled from the first tire was filled with more salamanders. I screamed at Jim to move his ass over, threw the shovel in the back of the truck, grabbed the door handle in the mirror to avoid a similar crash landing. Using every Minnesota winter driving skill, backed the sliding truck the same way we had come, their dead bodies covered by their marching compatriots before we reached clear pavement. Did a screw turn and headed home. Not a thought or a word from either one of us about continuing on another route to Maher's. And there on the seat, the wide-eyed Sparrowhawk, looking at me as if to ask, what in the hell did you just do? You son of a bitch. I got my eye on you. You're in my world now. Three years later, the kestrel remained unmounted in Jim's freezer. (laughs) Both of us had survived a string of bad luck. Since the demise of one kestrel and numerous, numerous salamanders, we both denied any superstitious beliefs. That being said, we decided that it might be a good idea to bury the kestrel anyway in hopes of changing our luck. We found a quiet place in Jim's Grove, dug a hole entirely deeper than necessary, gently placed and covered our now powerful Sparrowhawk, stood quietly for a minute or two as if in prayer, backed awkwardly aware, staying, staring at the grave to guarantee we weren't being followed. Thank you. Um, hopefully all of you hate it as much as I do when you're reading something. And then they put a reference in there to some other written work. you know. And if you haven't read it, you don't get it. And that always leaks me off. So to save you think I'm an, thinking that I'm an arrogant jerk, I'm going to read a, a six line poem by a guy named Pablo Neruda, if each day falls inside each night, there exists a well where clarity is imprisoned. We need to sit on the rim of the well of darkness and fish for fallen light with patience. Um, This next poem is called The Johnson Barn at Midnight. And it seems like we often chase special moments looking for love, discovering meaningful work, or finding wild adventures to bring excitement to our lives. But other times, light and meaning find us. Johnson Barn at midnight. Staring from the back porch in darkness so deep, city folks would gain new understanding of night. Across the 60 acres to the east, supernova light screaming from the abandoned barn door of the old Johnson place. The surrounding grove now more holes than windbreak. No one in the neighborhood remembers the Johnsons. The 1905 plat book indicates Johnsons once owned the place. Apparently the name stuck. Like so many barns of the last generation, weathered shiplap, paint mostly gone, shingles missing, broken windows, doors sagging, in spite of it all, still standing proud. The present owners farm 13,000 acres. The barn is certainly too small for their agrarian equipment. The house collapsed longer ago than my 25-year residency. There are no electric lines, and maybe never were. First thought fire, but the radiance is pure white and admitting no smoke. I rub my eyes and wonder if my senses are deserting me. A huge light emanating from a stable has a disconcerting historical precedence. Haven't seen any Mercedes, BMWs, Camels, or FedEx vans bearing gifts. The constant unchanging intensity commands me to investigate, ensure the crowbars behind the 64 Ford seat, fetch, uncase, and load the 22, smart to park on the gravel road to avoid whatever hazards are hidden in the tall grass. The car headlights add no detectable luminance to the blinding glare. Feels like Don Quixote without Sancho Panza meets close encounters of the third kind. Unwilling to believe this light is an unjustable windmill, proceed up the grass-tangled driveway. Halfway, realize no gun or crowbar. Makes me feel like the idiot in the horror movie that stupidly forges ahead towards the killer and is always the first victim. For whatever reason, I don't turn back. The light gains brightness, but gives off no heat. The slight smell of lilacs sifts through. Penetrating magnetism propels me forward. Ten feet from the doorway, the light prevents me seeing into the barn. I stand stock still. Is this light on the road to Damascus? Am I standing next to the tree of knowledge? Why doesn't the light hurt my eyes? I move closer. Is this a dream? Didn't Moses lose his eyesight from the burning bush? I step to the doorway. Is this the light people go towards when they die? Or Naruda's fallen light that humans must fish for in the well of darkness to gain their humanity? I must know. Touch the door frame an inch inside, grope my way along the wall, never losing touch. Strobed into non-existence. I cannot see my own hands. Swaddled in light, not smothered. Light in the extreme behaves like darkness. Easing back along the wall, when I regain the doorway, the magnetism has reversed polarity, pushing my paces deliberately away from the feral illumination. Never looking back, for fear of meeting Lot's wife's fate, I drive home without looking in the mirror. Don't glance back until I'm safely home. The light remains. I stare across the field until I fall asleep in the lawn chair. When I wake, the light is gone. Subsequently, night after night, with no light, no biblical prophecies fulfilled, merely unexplained light, leaves me no wiser, nor duller, nor dead.
1: The Light My Fire story show was produced by Shane Kepke, Angie Zoller-Barker, and me, Jeremy Corey Greenus. Please check out our webpage at thestoryshow.org and encourage your friends to listen to our podcast. They can find us wherever they listen to podcasts. Just search for The Story Show, in quotes. Thanks.